Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl and the Gub, the podcast. We are back with our interview episode, our Wednesday episode for you all. We are talking to a Congress member today, and we actually are fresh off a Congress member interview from earlier who was amazing. We're just hitting the hill, and we're we're just taking over, honestly. It's really time for our D.C. trip. It's just kind of embarrassing. We haven't gone out there yet, you know? I know. We got to get on it. We absolutely do. Look, we talked about this on our Top Stories episode. We need to go to the baseball game, the congressional mm-hmm. baseball game. So... 100%. Look, like if anyone wants some special guests, some political celebs, you know, political influencers in attendance, you know, their VIP list. We can be cheerleaders. Interesting. Interesting. I need to warn in advance that I have a big fear of flipping over. So the gymnastics part of the cheerleading <laughs> I can do exhibit. a cartwheel. That's about it. Ooh, okay. Wait, but I, I could look cute, you know? Just like look cute. I can stand there. I can cheer for the Dems. And <laughs> there I am. <laughs> I'm like low-key concerned given our singing abilities, how our cheering is going to go. But I look, you never Honestly, know. I should also be, I would also be a guest, a guest player. Like mm. I could really take home the W for the Dems because then they lose. Then they I lose this so. last I one. I think like really badly. They need Honestly, me. I'm they a great need- hitter too. Yeah, they need us athletes. We're athletes. And listen. Recruit us. Absolutely recruit us. us. You can see us at the next game on the field. To play with the staff. You know, like, are are you considered a staffer? Mm. If you're a consultant, maybe we can, maybe we can jump in that gray area, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know how celebrities or past elected officials or current elected officials get to throw out the first pitch at games? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I can hit like nobody's business I can absolutely catch and throw like a champ I don't know if pitching was ever my I'm not gonna throw top notch 
I'm really okay. good at catching. I have great hand-eye coordination, oddly, because I played soccer. But yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Shameful. speaking of like events, I guess, if that is any type of segue, mm. I'm not sure if I think we were talking about event at some point. Whatever. There's an event we want to plug. <laughs> there is. There is. And if you live in New York, this event is for you. It is a fundraiser between Public Wise and Drag Out the Vote. It is on September 19th at the Public Hotel. Tickets are going to be linked, of course, in the description for this episode. But it's a really fun fundraiser. There's open bar. There's a drag show. I mean, it's just like the bee's knees of events combines all of the best things. So check it out, grab your tickets, grab a pal. You know, this is like one of those things where it's like, hmm, what, no, it, what are you going to do post work? Let's go to a fucking a event. Dream, Let's do it. A dream event. Like we talked about it last week. You are pairing a two hour open bar with advocacy around getting out to vote with a drag show. It's just my absolute dream. Mm-hmm. Absolute dream. And again, the flights, the flights of it all are just really restricting me from living out my dream. And I wish it was in New York City, but just not. But if you are and you're in the tri-state area, get your ass out there and get the vote out as well. You know, got a few drinks but, for me, too. Yeah, specifically. OK, wait, what would your drink of choice be? What's your like open bar? Samantha, go-to? I've been drinking martinis lately. Are you OK? No, no. They're terrible. They're awful. But what's nice so is this that is like a, they can like get a straight you... up martini. Like this is an dirty espresso martini. martini. This isn't like a, okay. Dirty martini, extra dirty, some olives in there. Yeah, I just like, because for example, Saturday or Friday I had one because we just wanted to get like a little buzz going. Then we switched to like mm. red wine because we were just like, it's nice to like get the blood flowing. You know, it really does the trick. I Right. And it's really like light, you know, there's not much like sugar. it's not sugary. And that's also a bonus. And then Saturday I showed up to a bar to meet some of my friends and they were had been drinking all day. So I was like, OK, I need something strong. I don't take shots. I hate I can't do shots. So I was like, this might be a new alternative for me to like just get the blood flowing a little bit faster than, say, you know, the Moscow mules I usually reach for. Mm, yeah. Moscow mules are like low key kind of sugary tasting. Yeah, they have all – it's like that. they're so gingery and strong. Sometimes it can give you a little acid That's what reflux, it is, gingery. Like, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, martini, I, I like martinis. a good martini, so, like, I respect it. I will say it's interesting. Like, personally, like, I'm not in olives in the drink. Like, you don't – I get it without the olives. So where are you at on the olive end of this? I've started to like eating olives lately. But I had one of my olives that was in my martini – and like it just no, I don't really want a mar- an olive with like vodka flavored right, on it. Like, like that's disgusting. That makes me think about vodka gummy bears. Yeah, and like how you're mm-hmm. chewing them and or everyone's even like, Jello oh, shots. Hot yeah. take. Like I oh my can't. God. Like I obviously I partake. I do a Jello shot. I whatever. But it's like such a weird taste. It's just like you're no. chewing. Like I can't swallow chewing a alcohol. Just- yeah is is like why would you do that because like already swallowing it is hard enough like as a liquid like having to have it sit there in your mouth and chew it no I just can't I just can't you know what Um, I can only think of like but from like start to finish of this intro moment is someone clipping like just mere pieces of sentences that we have said over like the last however many minutes (laughs) it's like can't swallow like it's just yeah Mm mm-hmm 
Mm. I said, yeah, there's been some we set ourselves up. windows in there. Anyways. And pitching, you know. <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> well, moving forward, we had our top stories episode yesterday. So go listen to that. We talk about how Congress is officially back this week and what they're working on. We talk about the last multi-state primaries that are happening this week and what mm-hmm. to watch for in those. And speaking of that, we linked in our episode description something we talked about in the top stories, aka one of the candidates' campaign videos that he created with his 96 year old mother. 94, maybe. I sent this to like literally all of my friends that have Rhode Island houses. Yeah. And it yeah, 94. was mind blowing, mind blowingly cute. And we were like, we were reading the story about it and we were like, what is this? And I like went to go find it after and so I can link it for everybody. And it just happened to be the cutest thing of all time. And me and Sam were just like gushing over it for hours. So go watch that, please. Like it's linked in the episode description for the top stories. But And I just want to like make one little note on that for any of the campaign managers, et cetera, and extended crew mm-hmm. that listen to this show. This is just like a really good example of a solid ad. Like everyone can kind of like relate to the dynamic mm-hmm. between the two of them. It's totally, at least and I feel so like it's cute. very. Like he lives with so his mom cute. who's like clearly like very old and like just like living with his mom and they have a cute little relationship and they're highlighting it. And it's like amazing. You know what amazing. I also think it like highlights with, I don't even know if this was purposeful at all, but there's been so much discussion about how like our parents' generation and then also like millennials now have to take care of like their aging parents. Yeah. Like they have to take on this like additional responsibility and it's like different than it was previously and whatnot. And I feel like this kind of like sheds light on that. Mm-hmm. A little it's bit, relatable. You know? For sure. It's totally sure. relatable without even being like in your face about it. And it's just hilarious. Yeah. So anyways, go watch. Go if watch you're working it. on a campaign, also go watch. Like it's definitely yes. one of those ones like put in your inspo notes and, you know, yeah, keep it telling you know cute cute grandmas cute moms or cute dogs like whoever it is in your life like bring them into the campaign ads we want to see them um but other story we talked about was the trump x no excuse me (laughs) the trump x fbi collab updates so there's been some updates on that whole situation there's even more on the other one of the three investigations around the trump camp that's happening right now so yesterday was it 40 subpoenas they said were 30 were handed out and two of Trump's top aides had their phones seized. And that was regarding the January 6th investigation. There's that one. There is the classified documents that is Mar-a-Lago home investigation. And there's a tax fraud investigation against the Trump organization. That's all happening simultaneously. So Trump is in some hot water, and we'll be keeping you updated on all of it for sure. But speaking of a little bit of other news that just dropped today that we just must address, Mm. Senator Lindsey Graham introduced a bill banning abortions after 15 weeks, and it's called the Pain Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, he introduced it today. He actually released something similar back in January of 2021. So this is not a new endeavor for Lindsey Graham. Mm-mm. But it's also not obviously expected to go anywhere, at least in this session and with this president. But again, this is why it's so important to turn out to vote 
this year, but also, you know, getting ready for 2024 and all the madness that will ensue then because if Republicans get back any control, like this is the shit they're going to pass. They've been warning us. So tell your friends and don't stop telling your friends and screaming from the rooftops that this is still very much probability that this is something that they can push through. And yeah, I just this goes back to our conversation yesterday, too, where I'm just like personally, especially at this current moment. I just feel like it's so dumb strategically for him to do this. I'm like, you're just going to like piss people off more or scare people more. But this is going to be a national ban. It's going to turn yeah. out more voters. It's just like another reason for people to turn to turn out. I'm just like, who is behind this strategy? I'm just, this just seems so stupid to me. I can't wrap my totally. head it. Because it's like so in line. It's like post row, yeah. the numbers of women registering to vote going through the roof. Yeah. And even this independents only, who are like mobilizing yeah. towards Democrats for this one issue. like And same even with Republicans that are typically... Yeah like more like moderate Republicans, like this is like a, yeah. an issue that is pushing them across the fence for maybe it's just this election, but regardless in that, yeah. in that, in that vein, it's so odd to me. It's like, so it really, it, I keep trying, I've been thinking about this for like the last like few hours since like the, the news itself dropped, like there was a teaser about it last night and I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, yeah. yada yada whatever like the press release before the press release and I was trying to think of like okay like what's the game you know like from his end and I haven't been able to think of like a good theory yet so I'll have to I think they so genuine genuinely believe that like the bigotry is gonna work they just need to keep going because it worked you know for Trump first I think like I just but it's just wild he's, to me because it clearly thing, hasn't like, like the tides have he's have been turned. around for quite some time like if he were in like the camp of like a marjorie taylor green for lack of like a better example but someone that's like new to the game right Mm. like they're i mean he's thirsty he's always been thirsty but he's been around like he gets the game like someone like marjorie taylor green might not or someone that's like you know it's their first term and that's what you know their their only playbook that they know like the guy I can't stand him, but he's usually yeah. a decent strategist. So but I honestly, maybe at this point, they're just like to their former base, those like moderate traditional Republicans to those people. Maybe they're like realizing that those people are seeing them as too far gone at this point. And so now mm. they're just staying super right to then make sure they at least still have the Trump base. You know, like maybe it's that. That's, that's a fair point. Huh. Okay, I'm that theory is definitely top of the top of the heap. Yeah. If anyone thinks of any other theories, like what the strategy from their end is, curious, hit us in the DMs. Give us your your two cents. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe there is a, you know, pocket of voters that maybe aren't registered or don't normally vote, but are pro life. And maybe they're trying to mobilize those people and get them to turn out. Who knows? Yeah. But it's huh. it's all very interesting and to me at this point without diving like too deep I'm just like the GOP their strategy just seems so stupid I'm like okay we'll keep going I don't totally <laughs> totally like honestly it like makes up for like as you know some of the Dem slip-ups yeah no 100 you know it makes it a little more is that it was a red wave like red wave and they've completely yep. blown it because of their bigotry it's like like you you guys had it in the bag. It's just crazy. Yeah. Nonetheless. Yeah. Well, we have one more little tidbit to share before we do the introductions. And this is just like a, 
I feel like the way I'm going to phrase this just makes me feel like I am in an email, which would be saying for visibility, but seriously, for your awareness, for your FYI, new Nancy hires. Pelosi, yeah, new, new hires. <laughs> welcome to the team. So anyways, Pelosi is going to swear in three new members. They are reps elect Mary Patola. So she's a Democrat from Alaska who just be paying just one. Yeah. Although that is back on the ballot in November. So don't be sleeping on that. That's actually side note. One mm. of the texts that I got the most that are actually good. They're a little too long, but the fundraising texts that I get are from like her team. I don't know how I ended up on the Alaska list. I'm not mad mm. about it. Happy to be here, but yeah. either way, anyways, good job. You guys maybe make them a little shorter, but you're doing a great job. Anyways, next up, Pat Ryan from New York and Joe Semple, hold up. Joe Sempolinski. Nope. Sempolinski. Sem- yeah, Sempolinski. Okay. Whoa. It's just, I, holy dyslexia. Okay. Anyways, two Dems and a Republican. Hmm. So after these new members are sworn in, there will be 221 Dems versus 212 Republicans with two vacancies in the House. That's a four vote cushion for Pelosi. So. Well, let's get into Moving this episode. Along. Let's get into this guest. Let's get into this interview because it's a good one. Let, uh, let's do it. So today's interview is with Congressman Pete Welch from Vermont. He is the lone Congress member from the great state, the Green Mountain State of Vermont. And he is also running for Senate. So lots to talk about, lots to get into. And quite honestly, we, we spill some tea. As you may have guessed from our episode yesterday, our top stories, yeah. because well, well no, if you didn't listen to top stories and you oh. don't know mm. the teaser that we yeah. gave yesterday, that Samantha had a full blown no filter moment and mm. said something pretty vile that we regularly say, regularly say on this show. By the way, it's not, not it's not anything <gasps> new, but it's new to say in front of a sitting Congress member, mm. yep. but. It, it was sad, and he loved it. So I guess just you'll hear it in a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there you go. Get on in. Get to listening. Share with friends, et cetera, et cetera. But without further ado, here is Congressman Welch. We are super excited to chat, especially because you are Vermont's at-large congressman. And I think so many people are confused as to what that means. Can you explain, like, what an at-large congressional district is? At-large at means I'm everywhere. <laughs> we only have one. We only have one member of Congress in Vermont, so I am the sole member, and that means at-large. Vermont, the entire state elects me, just like they do Bernie Sanders and Patrick Leahy, are two wonderful senators. And there's seven states in the country that only have a single member of Congress. Us, Vermont, Delaware, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and Alaska. You mentioned that, Alaska. Huge. Yeah. Montana is going to have a second member of Congress. So we're going to have an exclusive club of seven shrink to a more exclusive club of six. <laughs> wow. Do wow. they do that for a population size or what's the purpose? It's population. Everybody gets yeah. at least one. Okay, so some of my colleagues give me a hard time. They want to act like I'm not, quote, a legitimate member because I'm not from, you know, a state with 50 plus members of Congress like California. 
But actually, you know, it's a really, really nice situation. It's, it's really nice for me in many ways because it means I represent all of Vermont. I'm the voice for Vermont in Congress. That's number one. Number two, a small delegation, Bernie, Patrick, and I will be in the elevator together. I mean, the whole mm-hmm. delegation is right there. And it's yeah. easy to be very, very closely aligned, work with them. You know, so the three of us have to work together to make up for our small size. And we've been able to, I think, do that pretty well. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't have to deal with other members. You know, my colleagues in California have to deal with, like, redistricting, and they get worried about that and have some dreadful member-on-member primaries or they're competing mm. for attention. And you know, no members of Congress want to get attention, as you know. So I like, I, I really enjoy that role. It, it feels like an intimate relationship with Vermonters because I'm the yeah. person that can help them there. And it's a very close relationship with Bernie and Patrick. So that part of it is really, really a, a, a bonus for, for me. I think everyone's just jealous of you and being the yeah. sole congressperson. That's clearly what's happening here. There's just a little bit that's of resentment. I, I, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. You know, yeah. I think you're big California. No way. No. Mighty Vermont. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how for backstory on your journey into this crazy political world, can you give us the whole run through of really how you got into politics in the first place? You know, it, it's, it's, I think for all of us, when you ask that question, you, 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 you have an answer that you, I've been asked that a lot. And it, it's not a straight line from here to there. But the biggest factor for me, in the, um, when I was your age, it was the height of the civil rights movement in the 60s. You know, I got, when I was in college, my sophomore year, I mean, there was an enormous amount of activity around civil rights. I mean, we were just awakening to the incredible discrimination that was lawful discrimination. When I was in college, I got very interested in it. I was inspired by Martin Luther King. And the 4th of July weekend, I hitchhiked out to Chicago from Springfield, Mass, a thousand miles. You could do that in those days and ended up staying there for two years. And I got involved. I dropped out of college and I got involved in an organization, community organization called the Southern Christian Leadership Conference that was really organized by Martin Luther King. And it got me inspired because what, what, what was so you know shocking to me, white kid from Springfield, Mass, when I got out and saw that this neighborhood that we were working in Lawndale, People couldn't buy a house, not because they couldn't afford it, but because the banks legally could deny them a mortgage because they lived in, quote, a red line neighborhood. Or the Veterans Administration could deny a mortgage guarantee, even though this veteran was uh, entitled to it, except that he was black. So it was astonishing to me to see that so many of the horrible practices were legal. And involved in this community organization, we found that organizing, doing payment strikes and picketing banks, going downtown to demonstrate, it really worked. So that inspired me, I think, to both get involved in politics, because I saw how much laws make a difference, and also become a lawyer, because I saw that gave me an opportunity to to get involved. So I think it was was the civil rights movement, my interest in it, and then my hitchhiking trip to Chicago. And those are that's what grounds me, really. Yeah. I'm very glad hitchhiking was involved in this. That yeah. is, you know, the the starting point of all good stories. But to lead us into another one, you are now running for Senate. So right. can you give us the lay of the land here, how you're, you've decided sort of, okay, from Congress to Senate, why now? You know, why, why this race? Well, you know, January 6th 
is really the touchdown here. I think for all of us, all of us were just astounded, right? That what happened and dismayed because we've never had a violent attack by citizens of the United States on the Capitol to try to contest and overturn the peaceful transfer of power. It's never happened in our country, incredibly dangerous. And I was in the building at that time. I was up in the gallery and it was, you know, 20 feet from where the shot was fired. I was there when they were trying to break down the doors where the president comes in to give the address to Congress for the State of the Union. And we were scared. And, uh, and but you know what was even worse? We all had to evacuate. We got out, we got out, but we had to come back at three in the morning. And 147 of my colleagues, it was really shocking to me, voted against seating Joe Biden as the president of the United States, even though he won by 7 million votes. So that's never happened. And it's given, I think, all of us a sense that we've got to do what we can to protect our democracy. Well, it's a 50-50 Senate. And with our Senator Leahy, who served us you know, so well for 48 years, making his decision to retire, the question for me, really, and it's not a question that was unique to me, I think it's a question all of us asked, how can I help? How can I, what can I do? And you have to make that decision based on your circumstances. You know, you do these podcasts and get information out for people. That's really important. Since I'm the sole member of Congress and I've got relationships and service to Vermont, the best place I thought where I could be helpful to Vermont in the country was by trying to make certain that we keep Senator Leahy's seat democratic and keep that gavel out of the clutches of Mitch McConnell. And I'm no mm. fan of Mitch McConnell. That grumpy guy. Uh, you are <laughs> to talking to the right crowd. Yeah, we have some words we for him, call him almost every week. Uh, yeah, we call him the gobbler. We also call him <laughs> Cockblock McConnell. So it's really a toss-up. Uh, not... <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, not a McConnell well, you know, you know, podcast. He calls himself the Grim Reaper. I mean, can you imagine that? Wait, That's what he calls he? himself. Oh, my God. He calls himself mm-hmm. the Grim Reaper. And the reason, he, he takes pride in fighting for failure. That's literally mm. what he does. All right. Remember when President Obama was elected, McConnell said, I think he was the majority leader then, he defined his job as to make Obama a one-term president. And just think about it, because that is, my job is to make sure Obama fails as opposed to the country succeeds, right? Totally. You ever know, you you ever have friends who just want to, you know, make everything miserable? Yeah. No, I don't. I hope the answer is no. But they well, no, I friends. don't. But I know people who are like that. It's just crazy to yeah. think, you know. But I also am so curious, too. What is it like working with people that you have so much, like, just animosity sometimes between? And, like, especially in the house right now with some of the people in there. Like, what is it like to have colleagues that are just so far away from, you know, your beliefs and your values. Well, and having... it's, pretty, it's pretty bizarre. And I'm going to, you know, this is on the, on the down low, but, you know, there's two ways I get through it. You know, one is exercise and the other is bourbon. Both great. <laughs> Those are both great options. And I think that's a very healthy balance. But seriously, <laughs> for success. Know, it is a serious question. And, you know, there's folks there that there's just no way I'm going to persuade them with anything. Right. They believe right. Trump won the election. It was all rigged. And it's not like I can have a discussion with them and point out to data in evidence uh, or they can. So it's just hopeless with some of my colleagues on that level. So what you do is you try to find you, you work with the people that want to work on solving common problems. And I'll work. That often means working with people I disagree with a lot. And I'll tell you, like an example, we have incredibly bad broadband here in Vermont. 
you know, when everybody else was talking about 5G, we had no G, right? So, and I'm trying to find other people in Congress to help me get Vermonters broadband. So I started talking to a lot of rural members uh, because I assumed they had the same problem in their states as we did. It turns out a lot of them were Republicans. So folks that were Republicans and, you know, they might have, they might still be Trump supporters, which I'm obviously totally not, they had broadband problems. So I would work with them to build, to create the broadband coalition, which ultimately was very successful in getting billions of dollars to deploy broadband throughout the country. So what I do is always grounded in, hey, what does Vermont need? It needs broadband. It needs telehealth. And then I'm one member and I'm not going to get it on my own. So who are the other members I can get to join me in that effort to get, say, telehealth or broadband? So I'll work with people on specific things, whether I agree with them on everything or not. And that's the way I do it. Yeah, but I don't try a lot to... of sense because it's what? like you, you're not, you know, you don't want to spend time waste like wasted on arguments you're never going to win because what you know all you get is just like yay i won the argument or oh my gosh cool like i feel good that doesn't necessarily like help the people you're representing what's that like in the hall coming from you really nailed it with that because there's pressure on you when you're in congress to just have an argument you you ever watch the like c-span i mean you guys look like you're not you know You've got lives. I'm not a regular C-SPAN watcher. I'm I'm saying. All right. But you get, you know what I'm talking about, where a politician says A and then the other one goes B and it's just back and forth and it's a lot of yelling with no real effort to get to a resolution. And there's too much of that in politics and in in Congress. So my focus is trying to, you know, identify a problem, find a way to help the modders benefit. And then you try to build support among you know, for me, it all depends on support from Vermonters. If they think I'm doing a good job, that's what matters. Yeah, totally. That's the that's the role. But no, I was curious too. Like, what's it like in the hallways? Is it like high school when, like, you know, you walk by someone you you know have some beef with? Do you like do you like nod or? Are well, you you're like... you're kind of, you're kind of elevating us. I'm not quite sure. You know, middle school may be the better place. Though. <laughs> <laughs> high school's <laughs> too elevated. You know. It, it, it people have various ways of being and and i tend to be it you know i tend to be pretty friendly with my colleagues including the ones i disagree with because there's no point in just being angry plus it's not a feeling i like to have i used to have a wicked temper when i was younger and i got the, the only reason i got rid of it is that i got sick of being mad all the time so yeah so i've i've, I've kind of gotten over that a little bit but it is bizarre at times it was really, really tough. I mean, a lot of folks that I'd worked with and thought I shared a norm with, you know, we didn't agree, let's say, on, on abortion. We didn't agree on taxes or health care. But I had some respect for them as being honest and representatives. But I always assumed that all of us, whether we were extremely liberal or extremely conservative, would accept the outcome of an election. That's the whole foundation of democracy. So, you know, in all candor, I was really disappointed when a lot of the people that I had been working with, friendly with, and have the same job, you know, have the same responsibility, even if the people I represent are different than the people they represent, when they voted not to certify the election and bought into the Trump lie, which, you know, is really, really destructive to the well-being of our country. So that was hard. That was hard That's got to be really hard. Yeah. yeah. To keep your temper. Yeah. That would would be enough to make me spiral. 
Totally. And we were losing our minds over here. So I can't imagine what it was like being there and then having to continue to, you know, work with those folks and whatnot. But speaking of working with all of these people, we want to talk about some of the the nuts and bolts, the, you know, the little behind the scenes things that are so right. important and so confusing to everyone that doesn't work directly there. And that's congressional committees, because we hear so much, every Hill article, every Punchbowl newsletter, congressional committee, this congressional committee, that, but okay, what are they actually doing? So we want to start with some basics of what each of these does. And we know you're on quite a few, including the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, which is a mouthful. And I think I need to take like a break in between each word because each one's so long. But regardless, (laughs) we're curious, what does it do? What do you do when you're meeting together? What's the goal? All right, the the MN3 committees, but the Intelligence Committee is all about the oversight responsibility Congress has of like the CIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the National Security Administration. So there is a very vast intelligence network within the United States. And it is all about protecting us and trying to get information on what China's up to, what Russia's doing, what's Iran doing with the nuclear deal. And it's all very sensitive information. And the members of the quote, select committee, the word select, is it's all everyone is appointed individually by the speaker. All right. So and then on the Democratic side and, and Mr. McCarthy, the Republican leader. So it's considered to be something where you have to have the real confidence of, in my case, Speaker Pelosi. And what we will be hearing from, it's incredibly interesting, really, but we'll be hearing from the CIA, the head of the CIA. We'll be hearing from the head of the National Security agency we're hearing from my favorite in all the government the head of the head of all intelligence and that's averil haynes and this is the most remarkable person i've seen in public service she's like this physicist a lawyer she ran a bookstore with her husband she learned how to fly ended up marrying her flying instructor and they've got a wonderful long-term marriage and she's got a combination of extraordinary intellect and warmth I mean, Mm. she's just amazing and so confident. And both Republicans and Democrats find her quite amazing. So the committee, and the other part about the committee that is really enjoyable is it's small. There's like 22 people on it, whereas on like the Energy and Commerce Committee, which has vast jurisdiction over telecom, healthcare, climate change, we've got like 65 people. So the smaller the committee, you get to know people you participate more. So, you know, it's really been an extremely interesting committee. I was on it too when we did the Russia investigation. Remember when President Trump famously had that a phone call with Zelensky asking him to mm-hmm. do me, but do me a favor in exchange yep. for U.S. sending over military aid. And of course, that was outrageous. I voted as a result of that to impeach President Trump for essentially trying to use our foreign aid to a country mm-hmm. in peril the aid that had been authorized by Congress, essentially to do as another great diplomat, Fiona Hill, do you remember her? Yeah. I mean, she, again, like so smart and so wonderful, but she called it a political error. So that committee has had just a, a, a very, very intense couple of years. And it's just been really pretty special. If you're in Congress and you're on a good committee, it gives you a lot of, a lot of interesting things to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. I am Sure, that is a variety pack. We also want to talk about the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which you're also on. What does that committee do? Well, Carolyn Maloney, another strong woman, is the head of that committee. She's from New York. But that has vast jurisdiction, essentially, to 
check on and oversee and investigate activities in government to see that the government is complying with laws, not breaching responsibilities, and is is meeting its obligations to, to, to spend its appropriations wisely. And it's everything in, it, it's everything in government and out, and out of government. But mm-hmm. that committee has had a lot of hearings on what's happened with the COVID relief money, what's happened with the Afghanistan withdrawal. I mean, you take a topic and if there yeah. is a question about what happened and why, the oversight committee will do that. Got it. Which one's your favorite? Mm. My favorite, I've been, the, the committee I've been on the longest is oversight, and I've liked that since I got there. But what I really do like, the, the two committees that have the substantive jurisdiction, not just the flashy what's going on today and let's investigate, have been energy and commerce and recently intelligence. But energy and commerce I was on when we did the Obamacare legislation, and that was, you know, that it was really a functioning committee. Yeah, and right. we also did the Waxman-Markey climate change bill that got through the Senate pardon me, through the House several years ago, and had that gotten through the Senate, lost by one vote, we'd already be well on our way to 80% carbon reduction by 2040. Yeah. Um, so it's really sad. But that, that that committee, I really liked at that time when we were doing that work. The Intelligence Committee, I really liked. I like it now that when we were doing that Russian investigation, you know, something I thought was really important for the country. And really uncovering the abuse of President Trump to try to get a favor from Zelensky in exchange for that military aid that we had authorized. So it it varies to some extent with what's going on in the committee, which is my favorite. But I like the substantive policy committees a lot. Yeah, totally. What what's it like too when you do you know work so hard on something, get it through committee? get it to the Senate and it like dies, especially things like these climate change, big pieces of legislation that, you know, you were so hopeful for probably like, it's probably mutually well, like so fulfilling, you know but what? also probably frustrating. That's, that's when I need a heady topper, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's fair. That's fair. You know, no, seriously. Yeah, that's a good question because you know what, if you're it, it, in some ways, politics is no different than life. There's a lot of heartbreak along the way. And mm-hmm. the contradiction I felt, uh, the conflict I've always felt in politics is most of uh, most people who get involved in politics, Republican or Democrat, they have aspirations. They, they, they have a sense that things can be better. You know, what motivated me was civil rights originally getting involved. And what you want to do always exceeds what you can do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what you're doing is always pushing, pushing, pushing to get the most you possibly can. But at the end of the day in the House, you've got to get the to, you've got to get the 218 and the votes. Yeah. So you have to adjust. And each time you're adjusting, it's like a little nick in your heart because you thought, mm-hmm. oh, my God, we started out and we thought we could get full voting rights. And yeah. now we don't have the votes to quite get there. So there's a lot of you've got to, I think, accept if you're going to get involved in, in politics that even though you have these ideals that really provide that motivation to work hard and face yeah. the day, you're going to have to you're going to have to accept that there's some heartbreak along the way. Yeah, totally. uh, but it's hard. And, and and what helps you get through it really is your relationships because you're working with other people who share your your goals. And when politics is is fun, is when it's a team sport and you're mm-hmm. you're you've got a coterie of people. Now, I'll give you an example. 
when we were passing the energy bill in in the, this is years ago with Waxman and Markey, it was going to be mainly Democrats. The Republicans weren't on board, and we had Democrats who came from industrial states where there was intensive energy use, and they were concerned about jobs and what the impact would be. That's a fair concern. And then we had green dogs in somebody like Jay Inslee, who's now governor of Washington, who was a real leader in the energy bill. Well, we had we had lasagna dinners at my apartment with what were called some of the green dogs, like Jay Inslee, and some of the brown dogs, as we call them, like Mike brown Doyle dogs. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And those dinners where it was people who respected each other, but wanted to make certain that what we did didn't really hurt a lot of workers in this case, got together build trust. And ultimately, we were able to work together and pass out of the house a really big bill. So that was that was a lot yeah. of you know, that felt productive. And, and, and also, you, you know, you get to appreciate people and develop friendships when you work together, as opposed to just say hi and pass in the halls yeah. and so on. And you're struggling to get something done. That actually can be a lot of fun. Yeah. Breaking well, bread always seems to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what I'm hearing here far, is lasagna. Break and bread and lasagna solves everything. That yeah. Well, is... that's true, but I got busted on the lasagna because I was bragging that I was cooking it. And uh-huh. one day we ate, and it's hard to do. You, they you found know, the bugs. The all day. Well, <laughs> I got busted because everybody ate all the lasagna and they had seconds and I thought I had plenty. And then somebody saw on the bottom of the, of the pan, Costco. So I got <laughs> There it is. Yeah, that's happened to me maybe a few times as well. But mm. anyways, to move on and get more into the nuts and bolts of committees, we want to talk about just really how they work and starting off committee assignments. Can you kind of explain how those work and like who's in charge of assigning these roles and just how do these committees work? Yeah, yeah, that's there's a lot of committees. OK, and this starts out with the member stating a preference. Like I wanted to be on energy and commerce when I first got to Congress. And the energy and commerce is considered, quote, an A committee. So in practice, new members don't get that assignment. But I wanted to get that assignment eventually. So it starts with the committee with you. You might want to be on energy and commerce because you're interested in in climate change and healthcare, in telecom. Those would be the three big areas. Another person might have a real interest, let's say somebody from New York where it's the financial center of the universe, they might want to be on financial services. Okay, so they it, it starts with the member having a preference. Then the member starts, ultimately the decision is largely made by Speaker Pelosi, but there's a committee called the Steering and Policy Committee where it formally decides Peter's on energy and commerce or Brad Sherman is on financial services. And you can make your case to the members of the steering and policy committee about why you should get the nod to be on it. So it starts with the member and then it goes to the steering and policy committee, which has responsibility for making committee assignments. The speaker plays the biggest role in that. And to some extent, there's a real effort on these committees to get a geographic and 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 diversity and and geographic balance. So those factors go into it as well. But it's a big deal for members, you know, because getting the committee assignment that is going to be, A, something that allows you to be most helpful to your constituents, B, it's something that's interesting for you. Those are big factors for each of us when we're trying to get on the committee that we see as our preference. What happens if you end up on a committee you don't like or you don't want you're like does that ever happen where someone gets matched with something that they're like this is so not me 
<laughs> it happens a lot. And what you do is work hard and make the best of it. And, and seriously, so, you know, you have in your mind what committee you want to be on. And there's no so-called A-list committees, which are energy and commerce, like in ways and means, appropriations. But the fact is that you have a real opportunity in the Congress, once you're there, to pick out an area of interest. And it's if that area of interest coincides with your committee, that's better for you. But you're not limited on what you can do just because of what committee you're assigned to. So there's an enormous opportunity for each of us in Congress to kind of pick areas where we want to develop some competence and then get some respect because we're seen as really having spent a lot of time on an issue. Like I spent an immense amount of time on trying to get prescription drug prices lowered. I've been working on it for like 16 years, and it looks like we may finally get price negotiation in this Build Back Mansion bill. But, you know, that's how so you do thoughts. it. So, you know, hard work, don't complain, make the best of the situation, and you can be productive and helpful. Yeah. Good life advice as well. Well, yeah. this has been amazing. And thank you so much for running through all these details with us. We know, like we said before, that you are running a Senate campaign. Where can people help with the campaign, volunteer, jump in? Give us your plug. Well, there is a opportunity for me to plug welchforvermont.com. Go to the website. Come on in and be a volunteer. I'd love to have you. Young people are playing in an enormous role in political campaigns, like what Bernie Sanders did and was propelled by, by young people. And it's led to a great change in the Democratic Party. So welchforvermont.com and on to victory in the U.S. Senate. Got to keep go. that crap. Keep that gavel away from the Grim Reaper. The Grim Reaper. The Gobbler. The Gobbler. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Well, thank you so much. It's been an honor. And yeah, no, we'll be, we'll be rooting for you. All right. Thanks a lot, you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.